How's everybody doing? Yeah, I got to tell you, I do want to tell you a story about uh, when I was in the ninth grade, I decided to try out for our high school football team. And uh, when I did, what I wanted to do was I wanted to play, I wanted to be a defensive tackle, defensive back. Uh, I grew up in the era of like, you know, watching like Lawrence Taylor and those guys. And uh, so, but my coach, on the other hand, wanted to put me on the offensive line. And uh, what he did, he took me aside one day and he said, uh, he said, now, Frank, you're strong. What we need is for guys that are strong like you to be able to make some holes for the running backs to get through to gain some yardage. Now, let me translate. Frank you're fat. And we need you to use your enormous mass to push guys out of the way so that the skinny, fast kids can break through and score touchdowns so that by the time they're done celebrating, you're just running to the end zone, huffing and puffing to begin to celebrate as well. So that's what he said. I was very unhappy with that, and I didn't want to play if I was going to play a position that wasn't really for me. And so I decided that I was going to prove him wrong. And uh, so we had, one of the things that you had to do when you tried out for the football team was you had to run two miles in 14 minutes. So it was about a seven-minute mile, and, uh, which is pretty, pretty you know, quick as it is. So you had to run a seven-minute mile, and you had to do it with full pads. And my thought was if I could do this in under 14 minutes, I can show him that I am fast and that I can be uh, like a defensive end or defensive back, something like that. So we start out, right? He blows the whistle, and the whole, you know, a bunch of guys start start going. Now there's some guys who are just walking because like they're 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 playing the position they want to play, so they could care less whether uh, the coach because if the, if you don't do what the coach asks you, he just makes you do laps anyway, which is what they're doing now. So they're, who cares? But then there's other guys that they started and they that, that whistle blew and they were off like a bullet. I mean, they were like a mailman being chased by a dog. I mean, they were running as fast as the wind. And then there were guys like us, you know, like me, and we were just trying to find a pace that we could sustain because we knew that it was, if it was two miles, it was eight times around the track. So it wasn't just getting around there once. We had to finish and, uh, and, and, and make our way in, in 14 minutes. Now, if you want to know the end of the story, the end of the story is I did it in, in, in 14 minutes. Um, he still didn't want to change me, but I didn't play anyway because he needed a 1.5 GPA to play football, which I did not have because I was not a very good student. So all that running for nothing. But isn't that, but I want you to listen to this, isn't that how it works in life? When I saw those guys who were running, they were off like a bullet. You know what was weird? Is that by the second or third time around the track, those guys that were off to the races on the very beginning, giving it all they had in the very beginning, second, third time around, they were like laying on the grass. Some were like in the in gravel in the fetal position calling for their mommies because they were so tired. Um, and, and, and I'm telling you that sometimes that's what we do in life. You know, it's like, what is it? It's February 21st, right? And like right now, like most of the New Year's resolutions that we made have all kind of fizzled out. And if somebody even brings up, like if your husband or wife brings up one of the New Year's resolutions that you made, they're like, hey, weren't you going to do that? Never speak of that again. I said that after I had 14 donuts. I cannot be held to that. And I'm telling you, we, we, we do that. And then, and then here's what happens, you know, because we, we make these resolutions, we decide we're going to do something, we say, you know, I'm going to get as skinny as my pinky, I'm going to be a thin, 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 I'm going to be as skinny as my pinky, and we go from pinky to twinkie in like a week, right? And how, I don't know how that works, but it, but it works out that way. You know, we buy exercise equipment, I'm going to do this every day, and now it's like we use it to like hold up, you know, hang, dry off our clothes, and that's all uh, it's really good for. But you know what happens? We do this in marriage, too. We do this in marriage because here's what we do. There's so much focus and energy that goes into the start, but not that much that goes into the finish. 
Listen, I, I've been a pastor for a long time, and I have done a lot of, uh, of premarital counseling. And uh, I've never talked to one couple when we're talking about, like, if I'm going to officiate their wedding and we're going through, like, the order of the service or anything like that. I've never talked to one couple who's like, yeah, we're just going to wing it. We know whatever happens. No, no, no. What, what they're talking about is, like, the most choreographed and detailed event in human history. You say, well, why did you guys pick out the church that you picked out at that time? Well, you've got to understand is that when the sun comes up on that day, it's, and then we're going to take the pictures around 10.54 a.m., and then when the sun is just cresting over, the beams of light will come through and shine on us, and it'll be like the glory of God and His love on us and all of His children right at that moment. And, and it's not like, I'm telling you, and it's, it's so detailed. And, and then, and then I, I'm telling you, I've done so many weddings. I've been to so many weddings. For the life of me, I still can't figure out why people who are getting married make their friends that are girls wear those dresses, uh, like those bridesmaids' dresses. I've never been to one wedding and been like, or, or heard anyone say, you know, those bridesmaids' dresses are so beautiful. I'd wear those anywhere. You never hear that. You hear like, wow, those are rough. And I'm telling you, I really think, I really believe that they're a test. They're a test of friendship. It's a girl saying to her friends, wear this seafoam dress, and I know that you really love me. Yeah, but will you? You will wear this. Oh, okay, I wear it. It's the weirdest thing. But you know what's interesting? Average wedding in America, this is over the last several years, $20,000 is spent on uh, per wedding. And, uh, you know, it isn't that, that weird. You know, it's the weirdest thing to think that the average wedding is $20,000, but after the wedding, they're going to hop in their 1982 Honda Civic, and they're not really sure if that thing's going to get them home because of all the extra weight from the empty cans that have been attached to the bumper. Like, will that thing make it? Uh, I don't know, but you did feed a lot of people that you don't like uh, that much. Uh, and it's just the weirdest thing. By the way, for those of you saying, well, how much did you spend on your wedding? 1500 bucks. That's how much I spent. I'm telling you, both services before, one guy was like, woo! And you know it was only a guy that was going to do that. Uh, and, and his fiancé or whatever was like, what is wrong with you? You know, and I'm telling you, and here is the weird part. The only, anybody who was at our wedding, the only thing they remember was how hungry they were. That's the only thing they remember. How was the ceremony? I don't know. But I know that I was starving. That's all I know. Because our wedding was supposed to start at 10 o'clock. My wife was an hour late. So it started at 11. Where was she doing in that hour? She's like, oh, I was getting ready. Here's what I know. She's like, do I really want to do this? What else do I have going on? Nothing. All right, I guess I'll do it. And, uh, so she denies that I'm guessing that that conversation happened. And then she, so it was supposed to be wedding starts at 11 or 10. It's done at 11. We have like cake and coffee and then, you know, everybody's out by 12, 1230. Instead, it starts at 11. It's done at noon and there's no food. So everybody's thinking, oh, it's like a lunch wedding. Well, it's kind of, it's a lunchtime wedding. Uh, because when everybody's done, like I'm telling you, there was like, I, first of all, I've never seen that people eat that much cake in my life. Uh, because people were starving. People were eating the napkins. They were so hungry. And we had no food for them. Why? Because we're like, you know, we're not going to feed you. Uh, we're here for you to be here and then give us gifts. That's pretty much it. Uh, so drop off your gift and we'll see you later. Uh, but anyway, it wasn't quite like that. We said hello to them uh, too. And, but here's the thing. Now, I want you to think about this. Average wedding, $20,000. You know that last year, $8 billion was spent on, like, on honeymoons. Like that's a lot of honeymoon money that was spent. And here's the thing that happens, just like what happened in that race that I was in. There was so much emphasis and focus on the start, but not very much emphasis and even thought when it comes to the finish. And here's what I believe, and here's what I know when it comes to marriage, is that if we would give, if we would give as much thought to the finish as we did to the start, 
we wouldn't see as many people dropping off in the middle. You know, the thing that I've learned, and that when I say this, you're going to be like, yeah, I, I know that too. And, and that is this. Um, falling in love is easy. In fact, you may want to write this down. If you want to know, here's one thing that you need. The only thing that you need to fall in love is this, a pulse. That's it. All you need to be is alive to be able to fall in love. Because, we, you know, people fall in love with people they've never even met. Like you mentioned a TV show and you're like, oh, I love him. Love him? You never even met him. Well, I kind of love him. You know, I kind of love her. Well, you never even met. But people fall in love with people all the time. So, you know, love at first sight or whatever. And so falling in love is easy. Listen, staying in love, that's something else altogether. And that's why, uh, that's why here and that's why at our Miramar campus, that's why we're, all of us are starting this brand new series this morning that's called Happily Ever After. And the big idea for our series, the thing that we're going to spend five weeks talking about, is not only that falling in love is easy, but that staying in love uh, takes a plan. But the other thing, the thing is this, is that happily ever after is possible. Happily ever after is possible, but it takes work to get there. So we're going to spend five weeks talking about it, and each week we're going to talk about a different couple in the Bible, and we're going to learn from them the secrets to a marriage that lasts a lifetime. So if we're going to start, then we need to start at the beginning. And so what we're going to look at now is the very first couple, the very first marriage, the very first husband and the first wife. And if you have your Bible, open it with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 2, because that's where we're going to be. And we're going to look at this very first couple, and here's what we're going to find. We're going to find in this story the foundation for a marriage that lasts a lifetime. And so here's what we're going to see. This is starting in verse 18 is where we're going to begin in Genesis 2. It says, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. And he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And wherever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Now, if you pause there and give me your attention, uh, here's the first thing that I want to share with you. There's four foundations we're going to talk about. But the first is this, is that marriage was created by God. God says it's not good for the man to be alone. And when that happens, God now institutes this idea of marriage, this idea of a man and a woman being together in matrimony for the rest of their lives because it's not good for the man to be alone. The other day, uh, my wife and I and my two kids, we were at the shops at Pembroke Gardens, which is just a couple miles away. And, uh, you know, it's like an outdoor mall deal. And, and so we're walking around, and it's like this really beautiful day out. And we bought my daughter some ice cream. She has like this little strawberry, you know, cone that she's walking around with. And then because we're outside, she sees her shadow, and she like loves playing with her shadow. And so then she has her cone, and she starts doing this, right, with her, with her shadow. And she says, look, I'm holding my shadow's hand. And then, you know, so she's got this whole thing, and it's really sweet. And this turns to us, and she says, look. I am my own friend. And it's like this really sweet thing. And I, I, now I do think it's important to like, you know, when you ask like, would you, you know, are, would you be your own friend if you, got, knew you met yourself? Like, well, that's good. But here's the thing is that it's not good for us to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. That's why God instituted marriage. Now, you have to understand this. It's so important is that God only instituted really two things. That there, there's only uh, two institutions, if you want to call it, that God created. God created the family and how the family is supposed to run and the church. Those are the two things that God created. But one of the purposes of marriage is companionship. And it's built for companionship and for that person to be your best friend. That's why it's not just finding someone that you find attractive. It's got to be much more than that and much deeper than that. 
It's about finding someone that can be your best friend and that can be closer to you than any other human person. I want you to notice something in this passage that we read, and we're going to see it in the verses that follow, is that one of the things that God tells Adam to do is to name every person, or name every animal. And I do think it's fascinating. I really wish I could have been there, or at least when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask for it on Blu-ray so I can see it. Um, I really do. I, I want to see it because I, I just think it'd be really cool to watch um, Adam come up with all the names because he starts out really creative, and then by the end, it's like he's out of juice, right? He starts out and he's like, I will call you Hippopotamus. That sounds like a good name. Rhinoceros. And then he gets to the end and he's like, what does that thing do? It flies. Fly. That's all I got left. You know, you know, he's like, he's out, he's out of gas, you know, like on what he can do. And, 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 but here's what happens is that Adam does, the, God does this. He presents all these animals. And here's what he says. He says, I see Mr. and Mrs. Hippopotamus, Mr. and Mrs. Rhinoceros. I see Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, Mr. and Mrs. Monkey. But here's what I don't see. I don't see anyone comparable or comparable to me. And Adam at that moment realizes not only his uniqueness, but he also realizes his singleness. And this is the thing that's very important and the thing that we, that we have to know and understand. You say, well, why would God do that and have him name all of the animals? Because God was trying for Adam to see his own need. Now, this is really important if you're single. If you're single, and especially if you've been single longer, longer than you've wanted to be single. And you say, I have this desire in me to be married. Now, why is that? And you, now, here's the thing that's important. That's because God wired you that way. If you have a desire to be married and, and you're single and you say, well, why, why is that? Listen, that means that everything is going according to plan. That means that God has not forgotten you. But what God is trying to do is awaken something in you for the purpose of preparation for you to be ready to be married to the person that he brings you. And that means, listen, if you've recognized that need in your life, it means that God is already working, fashioning and shaping the person that you're going to marry. So that's the word for singles. But let me say this to those of you that are married or wish to be married or are soon to be married. And that is this. Just because God created marriage, marriage does not mean that marriage is supposed to be easy. And sometimes what happens is, is that we get into a marriage relationship and because it's not easy, we think, well, God must not be in this somehow. And listen, that's not the case. The first verse in your outline is Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, which is this wonderful passage on a marriage relationship. But here's what it says. It says, two are better than one because they have a good return for their, what? Work. You may want to underline that. You may want to circle it so you can't even see it anymore. A good return for their work. That means that marriage, if you want a good return, there has to be work and investment in our relationship. You see, God created marriage for us to have companionship, but there's another reason, an underlying reason that sometimes we don't see at first, and under, a reason that sometimes we even resent because we don't realize what it is that God is doing. One of the reasons that God created marriage and that God brought that person that you're married to into your life, listen, is because marriage is supposed to make you like Jesus. It's supposed to work in your life to begin to mold and shape you to become to reflect who Jesus is more and more. Gary Thomas, who's an excellent author, wrote a wonderful book called Sacred Pathways. He wrote another wonderful book called Sacred Marriage. And in that book, Sacred Marriage, he said this, marriage was not created to make you happy. Marriage was created to make you holy. 
That's why the Apostle Paul, in his famous discourse on marriage in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, you may want to jot down that, that note and, uh, and look at it later. But here's the thing that he says when he talks about the role of men being husbands, the role of women being wives, when he talks about them and the purpose of them, that the purpose of them is to reflect who Jesus is in their relationship to a world that doesn't know God. And then he says this, in us reflecting who God is. Look at what, I don't have the whole passage here. What I have is the last verse. Look at the first three words. For this reason. Husband, you do what you're supposed to do because you're called to reflect Jesus in a certain way. Wife, you do what you're called to do to reflect Jesus in a particular way. For that reason, Paul would say, quoting Genesis 2, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Everything that a man is supposed to do and be, everything that a woman is supposed to do and be in marriage is designed to gear both of them towards becoming more like Jesus. That's why he uses that phrase, for that reason, for this reason. And too many times marriages struggle because they have the wrong idea as to the purpose of marriage. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next two verses that we read. Look at verse 20. It says, and so Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he left. And he took one of his ribs and he closed up the flesh in its place. And if you pause there for a second, here's the thing that I want to share with you. This is number two. One is marriage was created by God. Number two is, is that marriage does not complete you. Marriage does not complete you. When I was uh, engaged to be married, so this was quite a while ago, I was still in college at the time, uh, studying for ministry, and I went out to dinner with a friend of mine, and there was a group of people having dinner that somehow kind of knew who we were and invited us to sit with, uh, sit with them. So there's about six or eight, ten people there. I sat down with them, and uh, we just started talking, and they asked me a little bit more about myself and told them I was engaged to be married and this and that. And so we had, it was just after church one uh, one weekend, and... And so then they said to me, uh, one guy starts talking and he says to me, uh, you know, um, things aren't going that great in my life right now. But here's what I know. I know that if God brought the right woman in my life and I could marry her, I know that everything would work out because I just feel like I'm incomplete without that person that God brings me. And I know that if God could bring me that person, that everything would work out. And uh, so they said, well, you're engaged. What do you think? And I said, well, uh, you know, I, have, I don't have any marriage experience to give you. I've never been married. This is back then. And I said, but I do, uh, you know, I can tell you this. That kind of math doesn't seem to work. And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, what, from what it sounds like, you're trying to tell me that you're incomplete and the person that you're going to marry is incomplete and somehow two incompletes are going to equal two whole people. That, that doesn't seem to, to work. And so if you've got two incomplete people in, in a relationship, you know, that still equals two incomplete people that now don't feel whole. But see, here's what the Bible talks about. It talks about marriage being two people who are complete, coming together and forming wholeness in their marriage relationship. And that's why one of the illusions that we buy into for marriage is what we think marriage is going to bring is that, you know, marriage is supposed to complete me. It's supposed to complete you. It's supposed to complete us. When really that's not how it works. Now, I understand why we believe this. is because it's very romantic to believe that. That somehow you're, you're walking through life with a piece of you missing. 
and that you're just not able to function without with a piece of you missing. Right. Adam had a piece taken from him and now he's somehow incomplete. Right. Well, that's not really what, what the Bible is saying. It's a piece that was taken from him, that she was created from him, and that they would be a, a connection together, that she would be the right person for the right man. But listen, here's the thing that's important. While everything is telling us and the culture is telling us you're incomplete without that right person and that perfect person, I want to tell you that that's not what the Bible teaches at all. But everything around us is telling us that you're incomplete without that certain someone. I, I want to tell you something. This is so important. And you'll miss it if you don't catch this one line. And that is, there is a difference between having a desire and being incomplete. There is a big difference between having a desire for something and being incomplete. In verse 24 of this passage, which we're going to get to in just a moment, we learned that two become one flesh, not two halves become a whole. Not two three quarters become two. No, it's, it's different. And here's why that's important. When a person believes that they're incomplete and that marriage is the only thing that's going to complete them, that will begin to put a pressure on that person that they married, that marriage, that that marriage and that their spouse was never intended to bear. And here's what happens. You walk into marriage and you say, I'm incomplete and this person is supposed to complete me. And then you know what happens when the new car smell wears off on your marriage and you realize that it's like all the like, you know, butterflies are gone and all the like euphoric emotions are gone. And now you're just the same incomplete person married to, to someone else. Now you start looking at that person and you start saying you were supposed to complete me and you didn't. And now you start leaning a little harder on that person to complete you. And then they still don't complete you. And now there's more friction in your marriage because that person was supposed to do something for you that you weren't able to do for yourself and vice versa. And so now you were supposed to complete me and I was supposed to complete you. And now I'm not complete and you're not complete. And we start putting something on marriage that marriage was never meant to bear. And then one morning you wake up and you say, maybe I married the wrong person because I'm still incomplete and you're still incomplete. And that's not the way it's supposed to be because you were supposed to complete me and I was supposed to complete you. And it was all built upon an illusion that marriage completes people. Marriage does not complete people. It never was intended to. Listen, great marriages involve two complete people becoming one and experiencing wholeness in their relationship. Anything less is a fraction and fractional marriages end up being fractured marriages. Listen, if you say, yeah, but what happens if I'm not complete? That's okay. There's places to go to get complete. Marriage just happens to not be one of the places that can make you complete. The passage that we put for you at the bottom of your outline is in the book of Colossians, chapter 2. It says, so you also are complete through what? Your union with Christ, who is head over every ruler and authority. You see, listen, and listen, please listen. Those of you that are married, seek to be married or ever want to be married. Listen, marriage does not complete people. Jesus completes people. And the greatest thing that you can do for your marriage relationship is to seek every day to draw closer to God. And the more you draw close to God and the more your spouse draws closer to God, here's what will happen. The more the easier it will be for the two of you to draw closer to each other. Because the more whole you are in your relationship with God and the more whole your spouse is in your relationship with God, the more wholeness you will experience together in your marriage. Because, friends, Jesus completes people. 
Marriage does not complete people, and it's incapable of doing so. That's what we see next. Look at verse 22 of the same passage. It says, And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We said, number one, that marriage was created by God. Number two, marriage does not complete you. But here's number three. Marriage is about being the right person. It's about being the right person. I, I don't know if you're aware of this. I just found this out this week doing some research for this message. Check this out. There are on the web more than 1,500 websites that if you put up your information and create a profile, that they will use their powers of math and compatibility to find the perfect person for you to be with, to date, and to to ultimately marry. That's amazing that they're able to do this mathematically, to find the perfect person, you know, that these websites, you do this, and they will find Mr. Right. They will find the perfect person for you. Now, here's the thing that I find very interesting. 1,500 websites that will help you find the right person, not one website that will help you become the right person. Because let me tell you something, marriage is a lot less about finding the right person and a lot more about becoming the right person. That's why the Bible says this, is that God forms this woman to be what? To find a helper comparable. Comparable meaning equal to Adam. Sometimes we misunderstand what that word helper means. And we have this idea of like helper being like an assistant. Like how my, my brother-in-law is an electrical contractor and uh, he, and here's, here's, here's what he does. He has a helper that goes with him. And so he's up on the ladder doing the work and the helper gets him a screwdriver. The helper gets him wire nuts. The helper gets him a Coke, right? And we think, well, that's just demeaning how God would say that the, the wife is the helper to the man. Let me understand that, understand that word helper. You may want to jot this down. The Hebrew word for helper, it's two words in Hebrew. It's the word ezer konegdo. Ezer, E-Z-E-R. Ezer konegdo. And what does that mean? That word ezer konegdo is used 20 times in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. And the majority of the time, the word ezer konegdo is used speaking of God being our help, being our helper. That helper is not in the point, the place of assistance, but Help is in, in the point is in the position of I need help and I need someone to help me. And now God brings the right person at the right time. And so when I can't do it, God being the perfect person comes along and is able to help me help you and help us. In Psalm 54, here's what it says in your notes. It says, surely God is my help as your connecto. The, the Lord is the one who sustains me. You see, God created the right person and brought her to the right person. You see, because here's the thing. If you're not the right person, it doesn't matter if God brings you the right person. It's still not going to work out. That's why the statistics on remarriage are more staggering than the statistics on marriage. Some of us know that over the last two years, the the work that the Gallup organization has done on tracking marriages and the success and and failure rate of marriage, that now marriage has actually crested over 50%. It's now 52% of first marriages end in divorce. But here's the thing that many of us don't know. Uh, These are the the latest statistics. 67% of second marriages don't work out. 75% of third marriages don't work out. 
So I want you to imagine a guy, he gets married for the first time and it doesn't work out. Second time it doesn't work out. Third time it doesn't work out and here's what he says, there's just no good women. Well, what's the problem? Listen, dude, there's only one common denominator in all three of those marriages. And it's you. Right? And, here's, and, this, and, and what happens is this, because it doesn't matter how many people God brings in a person's life, if you're not committed to becoming the right person, it doesn't matter if you find the right person. Now, here's the thing. One of the reasons why marriages are in trouble, one of the reasons is because both people are living in, in like a dream world about what marriage is supposed to do and marriage is supposed to be. Great marriages, marriages that last, live in reality. Now, the problem is, is that the reason that, that, that marriage has been so hard is not because you're, you're like married to like a really bad person. You know, nice people, really nice people have marriage problems too. But it's because we've been asking something that marriage cannot give. That's why the quest to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, you know, that, that will solve everything. It doesn't. Because we've never spent any time focusing on becoming Mr. Right or Mrs. Right for someone else. Now, let me just tell you the secret that very few people talk about when it comes to marriage. And here, here's what it is. It's that we are not able to change anyone other than ourselves. We are not able to force anyone to react or to respond or to act in, in, in any way. The only person whose actions and reactions we can control are our own. And so, but what happens is, is that we're, we, we marry someone and we're trying to change them and mold them into the perfect person for us. But see, we can't do that. We don't have the ability to change a human heart. God is the only one who has the ability to change a human heart. And But what we have to do is this. But we do have the ability to open ourselves up for God to change us. But it does involve a decision on our part to open up and say, God, I need you to do the work. Because I need to become the person who can not just finds Mr. or Mrs. Wright, but can become Mr. or Mrs. Wright in my marriage relationship. Because, listen, God is the only one that changes people. But the, the person who lets God in to change people, to say, God, I'm going to react and respond and act and speak your way, is us. But we can only do that for ourselves. That's why, let me give you this. I gave you one verse of that Ecclesiastes passage. Let me give you the last four verses. So you get like the whole picture of what is being talked about. He says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, it's an amazing passage on the power of marriage. But I do want to share something with you about the benefits of marriage. And here's what they are. Did you notice that, that these two people, it's about supporting one another, warming one another, helping one another, being intimate with one another. But here's how the, it works in a, in a successful way. If you want these things in your marriage, you can't walk into your marriage saying, I want someone to support me, warm me, and help me. Well, you've got to walk into your marriage saying, I want to be supportive of someone else, have give warmth to someone else, and help someone else. And two people determined to be Mr. or Mrs. Right in their relationship, here's what will happen. You will see a successful relationship in a marriage that lasts a lifetime. 
And now let me give you the last two verses, and we'll talk about this final point. Look at, go back to verse 24 of Genesis chapter 2. He says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Now here's the final point, is that marriage was meant to last a lifetime. It was meant to last a lifetime. It was designed and created to be a lifetime endeavor. Now, I want you to note something. That word that a man will be joined to his wife is, 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 is okay. It's, it is what it means. But uh, some of you who are familiar with, like, the old, old, like, King James, um, like the old English, thee and thou version of the Bible, it uses this word. It uses the word, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And that, that word actually... Um, gets a little bit more of the intention of the original meaning. Because that word, the, the, the Hebrew word for that word cleave, well, let me give it to you in a word picture as to what that word really means. Um, about four years ago, my wife and I moved into the home that we live in. And uh, we were there. Carrie needed me to glue a couple of things. And uh, for whatever reason, we were just gluing these things together. <clears throat> and, uh, and as my wife was doing some, something else, she kind of shouts from, from the other side of the house, she says, hey, make sure you don't get any of that stuff on your hands or your fingers. To which I shouted back, too late. Because by the time she walked back into the kitchen where I was gluing stuff, I had glued three of my fingers together. And in the process of trying to get them unglued, I glued my pinky and my thumb together. So I looked like this. I looked like I was like, you know, in getting ready to start chanting, you know, um, doing something like that. But I had glued this. And then my wife has to get like all these chemicals, like nail polish remover. She gets like everything except like bug spray and windshield wiper fluid to finally like pry these things off. And, and like she finally gets the, the glue off, ends up ripping some of the skin off. I cried a little, but um, I ended up being, and today I have use of all ten of my digits. Um, but here's the thing that's amazing is, is that that word cleave. The Hebrew meaning of that word cleave, to be joined together, is like saying a man will leave his father and mother and be super glued to his wife. Because that's what the intention of marriage is. It was designed for two people to spend their lives together. And I want you to understand something, that we live in a world where everything is disposable. If there is something that you can use, there is a version of it that's disposable. And marriage was never meant to be disposable. It was meant to last a lifetime. That's why the Bible says that they were naked and not ashamed. See, they were naked physically, yeah, and there's physical intimacy, and that was part of it, but that's not the whole meaning of what's being spoken there. There was physical nakedness, but there was emotional nakedness. There was like a psychological nakedness, that it wasn't just, that there was no, nothing hidden between the two of them. There was nothing being covered up between the two of them. That there was nothing that one wouldn't say to the other to say, well, if, I, if I'm honest with him and tell him this, he won't really understand. And, and he says, if I'm really honest and say this and share this and reveal this about myself, I don't know how she's going to respond. Now, the kind of nakedness that the Bible talks about is this kind of nakedness that says, hey, we are in this for the long haul. And we are here, we are together doing this, doing life together because we're best friends. And there's no other person closer on this planet than you and me. Listen, two weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated 13 years of holy matrimony. Uh, and we are very, very, we're very excited about that. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, yeah. 
Thanks. And uh, I, I will tell you this. I'm, I, bought her, I bought her some flowers, and on the card, I wrote Lucky 13. And I said, let's do 13 more. And, uh, and I'm t- I, th- I tell you what, I've, I've, I'm, in, in our 13th year of marriage, I'm convinced that 13 is a lucky number. Um, but but here, here's what I will tell you is that uh, every time that our anniversary comes around, we kind of have this, this conversation and this moment to really thank and glorify God for all that he's done. But here's the thing is that um, some of you know this, some of you don't know this, and I, I'll share a little bit about myself, uh, those of you that don't. Um, in, my, um, in, in, in our family, and on my side of the family, when I think about like my aunts, my uncles, um, all, all of that, um, even my, you know, my mom's parents, um, like you know, my grandparents, uh, her brothers and sisters, my dad, his brothers and sisters, all of them, all of them, without exception, um, have been divorced. At least once. Uh, both of my parents are divorced multiple times over. Um, on my wife's side of the family, it is exactly the same. And so now we're celebrating 13 years of marriage, and we're kind of like talking about this t- together. And and we've got our, our two kids, you know, th- these kids that we love so much. And and um, and then and so we're having this, this talk, and and sh- and I said, you know, how did this happen? Isn't this amazing what God has done? Because we have no I mean, we have no model as to what a healthy relationship looks like. I mean, when I think about, um, I mean, and, and, and uh, I mean, one of the faults that people uh, that you know, like people get, like my people in my family get frustrated because I, I've always like um, idealized like the Brady Bunch. It's my favorite show of all time. I will stop whatever I'm doing at any given time to watch an episode of the Brady Bunch uh, because I just I love the show so much. Uh, because when I think about a family sitting together, that was the only frame of reference I had. Because I've never experienced that in my life, a whole family sitting together, like two parents and their kids. I don't know what that is except for that. And then now my wife and I sitting together with our two children, um, having, ha- having dinner together and talking and, 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 and enjoying each other. And so we're, we're talking about that and, and kind of experiencing this and, and we're having this conversation. And, and she said, well, well, what happened? How, how, did we, how, did, how did we get here? And we have this conversation like, don't you remember? I was 19 years old and my wife was 18. We had been dating for five months. And at that, and uh, I had gone to Boston to introduce her to my brother and to my dad and to my older sister. And uh, at that time, we, um, my brother, who had just become a Christian a couple of years before, he shared the gospel with us. He talked about what Jesus had done um, to be able to forgive us and save us and that he could transform our lives. And it was that very moment, at the same time, my wife and I in my brother's kitchen made a decision to follow Jesus. And that was the moment that everything changed. And he, but yet here's what happens, that many times as Christians we say, but then why is it that as a Christian my, my relationship is difficult? And the reason is this, and it's what we've been talking about th- this whole time, is that whether you're a Christian or not, whether you follow God or not, whether you read the Bible or not, falling in love is easy. Staying in love is something else altogether. That happily ever after, listen, it's really possible. I can tell you that it's really possible, but it doesn't happen by accident. And here's where it begins. It begins by coming to God and saying, God, I need you to complete me. Because marriage is never meant to complete me and it doesn't have the ability to complete me. But I need you to complete me. Let's pray together. And God, we want to thank you so much for the fact that you do complete us and that you can complete us. We thank you for the, if we're married, Lord, for the person that you've brought into our lives. We thank you for them. 
but knowing that they cannot do the work that only you can do. And so, Lord, for those of us that are here, and maybe we've never made that decision to follow you, may today be the day that we do and watch you do a work that only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen.